Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. We're the Elsa waitress. How can we order any food if the waitress isn't going to come by? Can you imagine saying that in the middle of 2020? No, because everything was shut down. But yeah, but when you're hungry, you want to place your order and get some food. I mean, what's going on here? Hey, welcome to the show tonight. I think we're in for a fantastic episode. The title of the show is A Story of Karma, and our guest tonight is Michael Shell. We're going to bring Michael on in just a minute, but... I want to go back to this idea of being hungry, being hungry. I mean hungry. I mean like get the hell out of my way hungry. 2020 kind of threw all the cards up in the air, maybe on a windy day to boot, and many, many lives got turned upside down. And here we are at 2021, and there's, there's um, some movement as far as getting back to, quote, normal, unquote, but I don't think the old normal's going to satisfy our hunger. The sense I get is humanity wants a more, you know, a more genuine, a more authentic, a more, maybe the word serving um, narrative a new dynamic where the cart doesn't tip over so easily. uh, Perhaps a culture, a society that has has some stance to it, has some cadence to it, where um, if difficulties come our way collectively, we don't have a repeat of 2020. I think people are really hungry for uh, a rack they can hang their hat on and and know it's going to be there tomorrow, so to speak. In other words, a new dynamic of of the engine of our culture, the engine of our society. And the old dynamic certainly doesn't work. It's quite evident the the flipping car tipped over over and over again. Examples, the Depression in the 1930s, the 2008 crash. I don't remember anybody going on trial for any of that stuff. So the way the dynamic is now, it could probably happen again. We need to fix these things so we can all stand on our own two feet and trust that the card's not going to tip over. I think we're kind of tired of that. And tonight, tonight, I love this episode tonight. Again, the topic is, it's actually the title of Michael's book, A Story of Karma, Finding Love and Truth in the Lost Valley of the Himalaya. And how does this relate to our culture? I think the conversation will answer that question quite well. 
In 2012, Michael and his wife, Chantel, undertook an expedition deep in the Himalaya of northern Nepal into a remote valley that had been closed off to outsiders for decades. They led a team of artists, a photographer, a musician, and a painter, with the objective of capturing a moment in time through their unique lenses. As a mountaineering fanatic, Michael had a second and less conspicuous goal to climb an unknown mountain that he had only identified through a photograph. And what unfolded in the mountain forced him to question his values and his own identity. I love that, that in, introspection kind of aha. And it eventually resulted in meeting a little girl, which was the most profound encounter of his life. Little did either know that from that moment they would completely change the trajectory of each other's life. Michael is a mountaineer, an entrepreneur, and storyteller who lives to explore remote places around the world and to share the depth and beauty of human connection that he discovers along the way. With early success as an entrepreneur at the age of 15 and over 20 years of global financial investment experience, Michael brings his business acumen and altruistic heart to help lead and support local and international mentorship, fundraising, and educational initiatives. Join me in welcoming Michael to the show. Michael, we've got you on the show now. Welcome. Thank you very much, Les. Thanks for uh, for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here. Well, you've got quite a bit of background, and we could jump in all over the place and, and have a great show, <laughs> but I like the idea of meeting this little girl and how it turned out to be the most profound encounter of your life. How about we start there? Mm. Can you give us the story behind that? Sounds good. Yeah, no, I'd be happy to start there. So we were, if you can imagine yourself right now, in a little village at 14,000 feet in the middle of the Himalaya in a valley that had been closed off to the outside world for generations. So prior to, and this was back in 2012, prior to us being there, um, a few years before that, the valley had been shut off completely to the outside world. So no communications in terms of radio and Internet and any of that. Um, the people there are, you know, were self-sufficient. They'd been living kind of the same way that they'd been living for the last several hundred years uh, at that time, and no electricity, no access to, uh, to the roads, um, no health care. None of that. So really out there surviving. I mean, it's a very difficult place at 14,000 feet in the middle of the mountains to, uh, to try and survive. They are actually semi-nomadic. They move with the seasons. And so there we were. I was um, there to, well, we were there to kind of experience the culture. Um, we had put a little team together. But I was also there to, um, 
to climb a mountain because it had been my dream to uh, to climb in the Himalaya since I was a teenager. And I had found the perfect mountain, this white pyramid that I only identified through a picture a friend had shown me. And I had set off with the objective to, to climb this mountain or to find it and then climb it. Um, but on my way to the mountain, everything just started falling apart. It was like... Um, it was like that wasn't my path <laughs> to go that way. And, uh, you know, we were caught in a snowstorm at 17,000 feet, for example. Uh, my mule that was carrying my climbing gear ran off on me. And um, so all these things started unraveling and basically led me to meet this little girl, a uh, seven-year-old girl at her school, um, which kind of scratched the surface of grade one in this village in the middle of the Himalaya, uh, where she was teaching a group of 17 kids English numbers. Um, and I, it, it just sort of caught my, my, uh, my attention, not only because she was teaching English numbers, but because there was something different about her. There was this um, kind of familial connection that I felt, not because I recognized her physically, but almost like, a, like an energetic uh, recognition of some sort, and um, and so that moment took my life. I mean, we can talk about what what happened after after that. But meeting her at, her, at the Little Stone School there, teaching those English numbers, um, kind of opened up a whole new um, doorway, if you, if you will, uh, that took my life down and changed the whole trajectory of my life and my wife Chantal, and uh, and also this little girl. Her name is Karma and then her family, her little sister Pemba, and, their, and her parents and her family. And over the next nine years, we've, um, we've grown our, our lives together uh, as, as one family. And so, um, yeah, it's been the most fulfilling, meaningful experience of my life, but I could never have imagined that picture of a mountain that I went to seek and climb would end up leading me in this totally <laughs> different direction. Um, and changing my life and opening a, a, a human connection so deep that I, I could have never dreamed of. Well, you know, um, we've been chatting before the show, and uh, there's the notion of uh, a few days ago we were chatting about the ego and the heart. It, isn't it curious where... Um, you had the inclination to go hike this mountain from a picture. And mm. and from my perspective, it seems like a, a tug of your heart, so to speak. And and as you just shared, on the journey there, the why gets turned all upside down. <laughs> it's like <laughs> That's the, right. the, the, the heart knew all along what was going to happen. And... and how do you, I, I, I mean, people, so often people try to strategize their life out. Okay, I'm going to go to school, I'll graduate in four years, then I'll go do this and I'll go do that. And and yet sometimes your heart has a different agenda for you. How do you, mm-hmm. how do you recognize, I mean, especially in the torment, in the, torrential tsunami of, of upheaval that our culture has had over the last year. How do you, 
how do you connect with that heart space and 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 capture the value of that that um, heart inspired perspective or trajectory mhm yeah that's a that's a very good question Les, and I think that's something that all of us um myself included are are kind of trying to make sense of more and more, especially now with what's going on in the world. And I think at that time, well, I mean, if you think about it, the way we're conditioned to grow up, as you mentioned, we're kind of taught to live in the future, so to speak, right? So we're taught from a very young age that, um, okay, we have to get good grades in order to get into college or university. And then, you know, we do that so we can buy a home eventually. And then we do that because we want to have a family and, you know, marry and all of that. So, so we're kind of always thinking about, you know, this future you know, constructed vision <laughs> of our life right. and then working yeah. backwards about, you know, here's all the things, here's, it's almost like a, I don't know, like a, like a blueprint <laughs> you know, for, for your life. Right. But, but of course life doesn't work like that. And so, you know, so we're, we're conditioning ourselves to think in that way, almost living in the future. And then we kind of shape our identity around that vision. So, that, and that identity comes from all the shoulds that we embed into our uh, into who we feel we should be. Um, but um, but really, what it's about it's about kind of letting that go. So, you know, I know it's hard to do that as we're going, you know, as we're young and that, and we're kind of indoctrinated with that way of thinking in our in our kind of Western world. But um, really, what it's about and what the experience I went through in the middle of the mountains was unraveling that whole mindset. Like, you know, the mountain had become part of me in so far as I wanted to climb in the Himalaya since I was a teenager. And that that dream or that vision was embedded as part of my own identity, uh, much like we do that with anything. And, like you know, every time we have an idea of what our life should be down the road, we embed that idea into part of our own identity. And then so when that whatever that thing is, when it gets shaken, when it gets questioned, when it gets blocked, um, well, then that's where suffering arises because now our expectation um, that we've hung on to for so long gets questioned. The reality and the expectation, there's a, there's a gap, and that gap is where we suffer. So, um, so I think it's important to recognize when we're looking at, uh, you know, what, what kind of ideas have we embedded into our into our life or into our identity because that's something that we've been conditioned to believe that that's what life should look like. You know, I think it's important to examine those areas and, uh, and deconstruct them, right? Does that truly align with my heart? Does that truly align with who I am? You know, asking the questions, why? Why is that something that I'm, I'm interested in doing? And why does that feel like it's something that's part of me? Um, because I think, um, I think there's a much more fulfilling and meaningful way about life and uh, and that way is is the way of the heart, uh, listening to the language of the heart and tapping into that. And we are all, I mean, it's not like some of us have that and some of us don't. We all have it. It's just that we kind of tune it off sometimes or let our mind or our ego or whatever you want to call it kind of overpower that language. So um, so I think what we need to do is, is condition ourselves to have the courage, right? I mean, courage, actually, the whole word of courage uh, comes from the word heart. So we have to have the courage to to listen and to learn the language of the heart again. And through that, I think we'll be able to connect more authentically to to each other, um, 
but also to ourselves. Very nice. Well, you mentioned that at an early age you you had an inclination for um, the adventure of, of exploring mountains. Um, over the decade we've had this show, many, many guests share about how they feel like their life is going to go a particular way, and then some event proves it to be true, and they don't necessarily know the details, but they have that inclination. And, and you shared that notion of hiking at a young age. But when, mm-hmm. you, when you met this, this little girl, you could have just taken some pictures and put the camera back in your backpack and continued to <laughs> sort of speak. No, you know, but, but what I'm getting at is um, your demeanor, your temperament had already, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but pre-established the value of that heart space. So when it got activated from that encounter, it it turned into years and years of connection with this little girl and and, and her family dynamic. And mm-hmm. and I think a lot of times when things go south with our plans, we can get up in our mind and just race and race about what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How do I fix this? Everything's broken and people are wringing their hands, living in their mind, and it, how, do you, how do you make room in your consciousness so when your heart wants to ring the bell and get your attention, <laughs> that, <laughs> that you're actually aware enough to pay attention? Because when you met that girl, that turned your whole life over in the moment, and you had the wherewithal to fully engage that encounter, so to speak. Yeah, no, and I think it, I I don't want to say it gets easier, but I think it gets clearer the more we practice that. You know, there's a Japanese term, actually, there's a word that they have for, basically means clinging on for dear life. Um, And I think about it in the terms, you know, you mentioned my early pursuits up the mountain. There's There's something that we talk about in the mountaineering and the rock climbing world where you do not want to get into that situation where you're clinging on for dear life because that's usually where, um, you know, you just burn through your energy, you just tense up, everything just, you know, becomes very, very, um, uh, yeah, very tense, and the likelihood of you falling increases, increases uh, significantly, right? So you want to kind of ease into it, you want to let go, you want to breathe, you want to, you know, find that rhythm again. That's usually where, you know, where you can climb well, you can be in that zone, so I think, you know, that's a good metaphor for your question and for life where oftentimes we find ourselves, again, where if something in our mind doesn't align with our reality, like if our expectations for life doesn't align with our reality, um, we get into this clingingness mode, right, where we're trying to, you know, where we freeze and we're trying to grip and we're trying to, you know, think about, oh, but why isn't my life the way that I imagine it to be? And, you know, why is this particular thing that I feel like I should be doing, uh, why is it not happening? And we get into that very tense and, and uh, you know, and, and kind of the death grip, <laughs> you know, mode. And I think right. that sets away from, um, from this idea that, no, well, it's actually a beautiful opportunity to look at, what, okay, maybe this is closing for you here, but what else is opening for you? 
And I think that's exactly what happened with that day in the Himalaya where, okay, I was shut down from the mountain. Um, and it didn't happen the same day. So there was that period of, of introspection and, and suffering and, and kind of trying to make sense of it in my mind. But, um, but I, 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 I basically knew at the end of it that I just had to trust in this guiding force that was, that was around me. Everything in my environment, everything outside of me, was guiding me in this different direction. And I didn't know direction to where, but, um, but I chose to trust in that. Um, so, you know, there's a sequencing of events that led up to that as well, which we can talk about because I think that's important. But, but basically, you know, as I was led to that different direction and, and then met Karma in the little school there, um, the reason why we were able to, to connect on that level was because I had let go. I had let go of any expectation of any reason why I was there in the Himalaya, and I was just totally open to, I mean, my heart was totally open to, um, to receiving. And so that's what was, that's suddenly what appeared in front of me. And then so once, once, once that was there and, and that connection was quite clear, it, it, it wasn't really a decision to then, you know, go nearer to it, right? Um, right? I think it would have been different had we been all of a sudden parachuted into that village and suddenly, you know, there was this little girl. And, you know, th- that probably would not have turned out the same way, right? It wasn't, again, I wouldn't have had the sequencing of events. But I think, um, I think you know, having that whole experience in the mountains, we were there for weeks where I could have my mind uh, unravel and, and all the experiences that we had up until that moment um, and then choosing to trust in this natural flow of events, everything prepared me for that one moment. And then there was that moment where all of us kind of came together and then we could choose what we wanted to do with that. Right. Well, I, um, well let's, let's go ahead and talk about what led up to that. I mean, it, it, if I was up in the mountains hiking and my... <clears throat> The mule that had all my supplies decided to take off, that get my attention. What do you, uh, I mean, share with us how, what, you know, you, you just mentioned that what led up to that had some, some mm-hmm. cadence to it. Share with us that story. Yeah, so what happened was because all of the things that happened, you know, in terms of um, shutting me down from climbing the mountain, it forced me to hunker down in this little remote village, the most remote outpost village called Fu. And, um, and it was there that, I, I, you know, again, out there in the mountains, you have to imagine these 7,000-meter peaks all around you, totally disconnected from the rest of the world. Um, and I, I stopped even looking at my watch, like I stopped looking at time. I, I started kind of soaking into the the rhythm of what was happening around me, and, and we started connecting a lot with the locals, and, you know, we would dine with them in their little stone homes and, 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 and prepare meals together. And, and not that we could even speak each other's language, but we, we kind of were, we came back to the, the more fundamental ways of communicating through the eyes and through the, you know, energetically and, and through feeling and emotion. Um, sometimes I think words can actually take away from that. So, so all of that was happening over days and days. And, um, and I also met this one young gentleman named Sonam Dorje. And, and Sonam Dorje had, 
he had just come back to that village. He, he left the village when he was 14 years old uh, to go get education down. He had to travel all the way down to India. Um, and it had been seven years since he had seen his parents, since he had seen his village. And our paths happened to cross at that exact moment. So Sunandar Jaina, we we'd end up taking these um, these walks. We became friends over several days, and, and we'd take these walks together through the pathways, the labyrinth of his village there. And he'd share with me uh, about about his people, his culture, uh, the Tibetan Buddhism. Uh, he'd share with me about um, the plight of the village and uh, the struggle that they have to survive up there. That, uh, for example, the kids, when they're five, six, seven years old, they have to start, you know, working in the fields, very hard labor. And girls, particularly when at that time when they were 15, 16 years old, they'd start getting married and having children of their own. And, and then, you know, a lot of sick or elderly, they'd end up just dying in their own homes because of the lack of, of health care and, and all of that. And, and so I was learning about all these things while being immersed in, in that culture. And that was kind of really getting me out of my mind. Um, you know, I was starting to get the blinders off. I was starting to, um, to, to think on a much more holistic uh, level where, or a much deeper level, I guess you could say, where I wasn't so occupied with my own thoughts, but I started to, to explore, um, you know, what was happening more around me with this other culture. And I think that was a very important piece to getting me to think um, outside of my mind and, and also getting me to, the more I was thinking, the more I was getting outside of my mind, the more I could kind of let my, my heart open up to what was happening around me. And so I think that was a very key part of it. And, and also I should mention that this entire valley where we were uh, is considered what the Tibetans call a bayul. And a bayul is a, Tibetan for sacred valley. And it's a place where, um, where, well, the Dalai Lama himself has said, where the spiritual and physical realms coalesce closer together. So I think that had something to do with it, being in a place where, where the energetic vibration of that valley was allowing my heart to even open more, um, I think that made a difference. And, uh, and kind of energetically tuning myself into the vibration of that place allowed me to, um, to expand my, my kind of my heart-centeredness. Um, so, yes, all these things that were happening allowed me to get out of my mind and open my heart so that by the time we were ready to meet karma, we were in the right sort of, um, vibration, so to speak. Right. Well, I like that. Well, um, the way you portray that valley, um, they 2020 to them was probably just a normal year, and there was nothing different about it. And and you talk about getting out of your mind and into the heart space. So much of our education or, or um, our upbringing, our conditioning, if you will, from the from our tribe, from our culture, is kind of the white picket fence scenario of mm-hmm. what is expected. And when that when that falls apart, with only a monolithic perception of how life should go, we're, we're left in shambles and unfulfilled because we had this mono uh, perception of how it's supposed to go. It, it's it's kind of like, 
Well, I followed society's rules. I went to college, and now where's the job? And I'm supposed to earn mm. money to buy a house, and I can't make enough money to buy a house. And it's like the narrative fell apart. And so what, mm. I'm, what I'm curious about is you talk about the, the heart space, um, perhaps, of the people that live in that valley, and, and their dynamic is so uh, polar opposite, perhaps, of our Western culture. What would you say would serve us as a Western culture? I mean, how could we um, redefine a, a plethora or a poly um, dynamic of how our life could go in in many or multiple different ways and not have such a, a simplistic single idea of how life should be? Does, does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I, and I think that there's many, many lessons in that um, that I learned from them, from the girls over the years, from their people, their culture, their way of thinking. Um, you know, one of the things that I learned is that the way that they even view life and time as not uh, linear, right? I mean, we look at things very linear here, uh, linear in terms of working towards a goal or our, our entire life sometimes. we, You know, we create in this very linear fashion. But um, but they would have a more circular way of looking at things. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, for example, they look at experience as not all culminating towards one objective, but they look at experience as something that's going to be with them and, and, and kind of changing the rest of their life and the rest of their experiences all the time. So more of a circular notion where, where they place a circular value on it versus, okay, no, this is not just another stepping stone towards some random objective. No, this is an experience that is equal to all other experiences in my life. And so I think that, um, that kind of has a different way of, of, of creating your worldview about what you do and how you choose to, to, uh, to respond to different things in your life. And, and I think the other thing which we touched on is this notion of constantly living towards these expectations, uh, random expectations that, you know, we, right, yeah. we, we sort of um, kind of treat as, as gold for ourselves, but, but they're, where do they come from? <laughs> you know, they come from what we were taught or maybe, these, um, right. maybe what we've seen in movies or maybe what our parents taught us or maybe it's because what of our, all of our friends are doing or something like that. But, um, but these expectations are really self-imposed stories that we just paint uh, for ourselves and and really, you know, it's kind of there's no reason why we should be creating that much suffering when those expectations don't align with our reality. So I think, you know, the other major thing that I've learned from uh, this culture and the girls uh, over the years is this idea that, you know, this letting go, there's not, you know, tying ourselves in to, you know, these, 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 these expectations that we have created for ourselves Maybe we created these expectations years before that, um, but how often do we become different people over the years? And, and maybe those expectations don't apply in the same way they did when we set them years before. So, um, so I think that's a very critical thing as well, because as I mentioned, suffering occurs in the gap between reality and expectation. And, um, 
and and it's just natural that that gap is there from time to time. So you know to to kind of tra- transcend that suffering, I think we need to to learn to not tie ourselves in to this idea of future living. Um, and that comes through freeing ourselves or letting go of these expectations. It's good to have intention, right? We want to, uh, to work towards something still. We want to have an intention of what we're doing, of how we're living our life. But intention is not like a goal. Intention is, is more fluid. It's, it's adaptable. It's, um, it's kind of more open-minded. It's not as, as fixed as, as a goal is in one space and time. So, um, so I think if we live our life, if we understand the intention that we're living our life with, like why are we doing the things we're doing? Why are these things important to us? You know, really examining the why behind what we, who we are and what we're doing, um, that kind of frees us from locking ourselves into this one linear path and, um, and also understanding the intention behind our life and also helping us open, um, you know, again, this heart space that we talk about that that allows us to to um, uh, you know that helps inform our decisions uh, and our choices and our outlook uh, for our lives. Beautifully said. I love that. Well, I, I like what you said. Uh, suffering is uh, the what comes between reality and expectation. If if Earth, <laughs> what a sentence! If Earth has a new dynamic now post. Uh, uh, 2020, where um, we're kind of reinventing ourselves as we're going along, if we hold on to the old expectation of um, the linear idea of what a life should look like, we're going to have all, all kinds of suffering because all that got turned on its head. So to take our expectation and really... Um, dismantle it because it's not going to serve us if the new dynamic doesn't fit it to re-establish mm-hmm. an expectation of new possibilities, new dynamics, new outcomes. Um, mm-hmm. that'll, that'll open up our mind because how many people had an industry collapse during 2020 like uh, conventions at convention centers? None of that happened. Mm-hmm. So they're mm-hmm. sitting there wringing their hands going, what can I do now? If you don't break up that expectation of what your life can be, you're not going to be able to recognize opportunities that could solve your problems. I they think that's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly it. And I think it goes back to that point you raised um about, you know, how are we spending our energy? So if our energy is directed towards, oh, my God, I, I've got to do things the way I've always done them or, or I've got to hang on to the old, well, that's not allowing us – I mean, we could be directing that energy into, you know, what can I create out of this, right? <clears throat> there was a term I, I learned in, back in school, you know, called creative destruction where we need destruction sometimes to create the space to, uh, to create something new. So – but – in order to create something new, we can't be trying to hang on to, to the old while trying to create the new, right? We need to free ourselves. We need to direct that energy into uh, into creating something new. And I think, um, I, I think, yeah, no, that that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned through this whole experience um, that started in the Himalaya was to 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 be more gentle, right? 
I think, you know, we can be more gentle on ourselves and, and each other and not be as fixated or, or quick to judge or, or quick to kind of label something or, or place something in a specific um, thought. It's like, no, no, if, if we don't understand something, maybe we should ask more questions. Um, if something's not going the way that we think it should, well, maybe we should ask more questions about that uh, rather than quickly trying to judge it for what it is or, or try to understand it, um, you know, with a certain lens. I like that. Well, we got about 20 minutes left, and I know um, time can fly by. I want to I want to shift the conversation to your experience as an entrepreneur and in the financial arena, because I know a lot of people have kind of been uh, dragged through the weeds financially over the the last year or so, and to have to have heartache from expectation, to have heartache from where they thought they would be financially, to to see it kind of crumble in between their fingers. How, mm. how do we? How can we emotionally navigate uh, something as as profound as having our finances tossed up in the air so unexpectedly? Yeah, I mean, that's a difficult one for, for anyone. Um, I think one of the key things, you know, in terms of our mindset, which we've been led to believe, it's good to take a look at that to begin with, uh, which is, you know, this view around around finances, around money. Um, we tend to be taught in our culture over here that money is an end uh, in itself, <clears throat> whereas it's actually not. It's, it's actually a means. It's a means of... Uh, of transacting, it's a different form of energy transaction, right? Um, you know, you think about what I learned in, in for example, in yoga, <laughs> where you place your intention is where the energy will flow. And I think that's very much the same as, um, as, uh, as money. You know, where we place the intention on it is where it will flow. So I think where the mistake happens is people start looking at it as a means in itself, or sorry, as an end in itself. And then that, looking at it as, as an end, will create a very different relationship. It will kind of govern our, the way we make our decisions very differently. So, you know, if I think back to, um, to you know, when I was 15, and, uh, and I came from humble beginnings, you know, it's not like I came from, from wealth or anything like that, but, um, but my parents, I mean, they did okay, and, and they always supported me with my wild ideas, and, and my dream was to be a creative writer, <laughs> you know, um, I thought creative writing was my best subject all through high school, and, and my teacher would often, um, you know, read my work in front of the class and things like that, and, and he'd, uh, he'd encourage me to submit my work for publication, which I never did back then. But, um, but I thought, you know, all this time I would become a, this creative writer. And, and so I went into, um, into university, and I remember the first assignment that I got, the first essay, it was to, to write a play about a place in the outdoors that affects you deeply or that affected you deeply. And so I, I thought, oh, this is, this is like the assignment of my dreams. <laughs> and so I, I, I wrote what I thought was the best essay I had ever written. <laughs> I looked it over two, three times, uh, handed it in, got it back. I couldn't wait to get it back. Um, looked at the piece of paper, and on the piece of paper was something so foreign to me, I had no idea what it was at first glance, and it was the letter F. You know, I had failed my first uh, my first assignment at, in university, wow. and I, I was crushed, right? I, but, you know, at the same time, I had started this little business in, in high school, which was, uh, that's a whole other story, but it was becoming this, uh, 
starting to grow and it was becoming this kind of uh, starting to actually go national. And so I, the more that was happening, the more I thought, okay, well, I should look at, at this, um, this business faculty over here. And, uh, and so I started to talk to the people who were in the faculty and some of the profs. And, and the more I looked into it, the more I, um, I kind of understood that, that, hey, these people in this faculty are the ones who are creative. I mean, they were all about innovation. They were all about change. They were all about how to change the world and, and how do you create something new. And, and so um, whereas the people in the creative writing program it almost seemed like they were trying to shove me in a box. Um, so I thought, you know, hang on, it's the, it's the people in the business faculty, those are the ones who I want to hang out with. And so I decided to pivot and change my way. So going back to your question, you know, I, I can't answer that for everybody in terms of, you know, how, how you look at your finances in a time of upheaval. But I will say this, I will say that it's a good time to, to look at what's working, um, reestablish your priorities, and look at, okay, am I really – is the intention behind where I'm placing the value of my money, is that going in the right way? Uh, or is there a time, is this is a great time to be shifting that. Is there something that I need to do, you know, with how I'm placing the intention on the value of the money that I have? Can I change that in a way that will serve me better? Um, and it's, it's going to be a different answer for everybody, but I think it's important to look at that, you know, rather than just, you know, constantly putting your, your time and resources into something that's not working perhaps, maybe there's a better way to align that with, um, with what's important to you. Well, I like that. Well, I, I think we have a lot of opportunity in that, in the upheaval that we've all gone through collectively, we can define new values new um, um, aspects of our culture that are, are recognized as valuable. In other words, before mm -hmm. 20, a college degree, a title to a house, or at least a mortgage, and, and those are the mainstream measuring sticks, if you will. Mm -hmm. Perhaps after 2020, it's like, um, uh, personal time to express your passion. I don't. I mean, I'm just throwing it out here, and valuing uh, a much more nonlinear. Like, like you were saying, the the village didn't have um, the traditional Western measuring stick of in the future we will accomplish what we're we're working towards today. It was more more of Today is where I'm going to have my experience, so I'm going to, you know what I mean? I mean, what kind, of, what kind of nuggets or aspects can you see that would serve us to, to ground us more in our hearts, to value um, a, a personal heart connection? Um, what what would the mechanics of that look like in in our new Western culture, if you will? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean there were, there were so many um, contrasts that I that I observed over the years between the way that you know again these mountain dwellers lived and the way that we live over here. Uh, you know, for example, you know over here it's more about the individual. We tend to put the individual on the on the front of the magazine, so to speak. 
and celebrate that, whereas over there it's more about success of community. Uh, you know, over here it's more about what can I get, what can I accumulate. Over there it's more about what can I share, what can I, you know, help give to my siblings or my neighbor. Um, you know, over here it's about pride and about, you know, boasting a lot of times. Over there it's about, you know, humbleness and 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 kind of, you know, not putting yourself out on that pedestal. So, you know, so there's, I think there's a lot we can learn from that regard. And as it relates to the whole, I was just, <laughs> it's funny, as we were having this conversation, I'm just looking around, I'm sitting in this room um, where we have a lot of things my, my, my wife and I have collected over the years. And, you know, for example, right next to me here, I've got this globe. <laughs> it was the first globe my dad gave me of the world um, that kind of inspired a lot of my my yearning for for travel. And, it, it's kept, you know, the globe was made out of something like 1982 or something like that. Um, and, you know, up here I've got some dried lavender that my wife and I picked. I, you know, I've got a, a little clay sculpture that my mom made for me, a pine cone that we collected off off the ground with the girls, um, you know, a picture of, of you know, uh, one of our travels in Nepal over here. So all these things have very deep meaning to me, but they have absolutely no monetary value. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, so, um, but they're some of the most valuable things that I have. So I think, I think if we if we take that, you know, remind ourselves of that, you know, why are we stressing? Why are we spending so much time chasing things that have very shallow meaning? Um, but if we actually pivot a little bit and and focus more our priorities, align ourselves more with the things that actually create deep meaning, and we all know what those things are. But if we put our time and resources on those, um, I think that's part of. Uh, the answer to your your question there. Well, I like that, and and maybe uh, break out of the um, single narrative, so to speak, of the media. Single narrative of of what we're told life should look like from you know from the masses, so to speak, and, and break that up, break it up a lot, but maybe blow it up and create subcultures where our uniqueness is valued, just like you shared um, the elements in your immediate environment had meaning in, to you um, to, to create uh, subcultures, so to speak, where you interact with people that value that kind of thing, to kind of anchor it in our in our. Uh, society or culture instead of a single monolith, um, a single narrative that we all get taught as we go through the, you know, education system or getting brought up in our culture, kind of dismantle that, if you will. Well, we mm -hmm. have, uh, go ahead. Oh yeah, no. I just want to quickly say, and I, 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 yeah, I'd like to highlight this idea of human, like deep human connection as well. You know, particularly in this time of COVID and and self isolation, and you know, where we're um, also creating all kinds of barriers, um, you know, racial barriers and all of that that we're seeing in the news these days. Um, I think there's never been a more important time to connect on a very deep human level. Uh, if there's one thing I can I can I can leave the listeners with um, is that point of that connecting again on a very heart-centered level with each other, and that was something that I learned from the girls as well because the way that they again view and value um, things in, in their lives are 
it's, it's about the connection, right? It's about the deep human connections that we can foster between us. And, um, you know, they, they had a visit. This is a whole different story. People are going to have to read the book um, to learn about it. But they eventually, they came here to, to have a learning a cultural exchange in, uh, in North America. Um, I mean, can you imagine <laughs> coming from this little village in the mountains? And then they did spend some years at, in Kathmandu at a boarding school there. And then eventually, you know, years later, they came for a year and, and stayed with us in our home. And, and, um, and, and you think about, you know, okay, well, what are their minds going to be? sort of finding the most shocking. Is it going to be the modern glass buildings? Is it going to be the technology, the gadgetry, all these things? No. Uh, at the end of the day, what they found most fascinating was the way that we connected with each other over here on a human level versus how they do it there. And um, I'll just give one, you know, one quick example. Uh, you know, one day um, we, I was cooking dinner, and, uh, and little Pemba, she was uh, – she was 11 years old at that time, she said, you know, um, she wanted to help me cook. And um, I said, oh, you know, Pemba, you don't have to do this. You can go out and play or, or do some art. Or, and she just looked at me with these big eyes, and she said, um, you know, Mike, why don't you want me to help you cook? And I just thought, wow, you know what, yeah, come in here, let's make this meal together. But, again, you know, going back to their worldview, cooking was a very, is a very sacred thing. I mean, prepare, not only e- eating together, I mean, how often in our – culture here that we just kind of all scramble to the dinner table, you know, uh, like just eat, wolf down our meals, and then we all go back to whatever we're doing. Um, no, there, what they do is they value the time sitting down together, dining together, being one a family. Um, but not only that, it's the whole, it extends to the whole uh, preparation of the meal, like just making the meal together, having, you know, that is, is part of the experience. So again, that deep human connection of fostering that I think it's something that um, is crucially needed in our in our world today, in our culture here today. Very nice. Well, what what that brings to mind is um, we've had guests on from Africa, and it, it's kind of the same thing where people from these remote villages come to the United States, and in our um, you see pictures. Uh, or videos of kids in these very remote locations, and all they have is like a flipping stick or a box, mm-hmm. and they're smiling ear to ear. I mean, they're they're mm-hmm. they're just genuinely happy. And then and then you walk around our culture, and our kids are staring at their phone, and their face looks like it's a a morgue, and mm-hmm. and. Uh, <laughs> You know, the, the, um, just the joy of appreciating um, the simplicity of life, it's almost like, well, if you're going to come to the United States, bring to us your nuggets, your jewels of, of wisdom, of appreciating the simplicity, appreciating this moment for what it is, so to speak, because... Yeah, mm. Mm-hmm. So often our, our West, you know, like the British Empire, well, we're uh, much more advanced. We're going to colonize your country, and maybe someday you'll be like us. And, and, and they were happy and joyful and balanced and, and living harmoniously. And then, um, you, you, you know what I mean? It's like mm. when when they come and visit us, 
they have gifts for us because we're not we're not really the the most balanced society connected with nature society connected with heart space society and mm-hmm. so we can learn a lot from them it seems like well, I, I think that's right. I mean, you know, the, obviously yeah, somewhere in between lies the, the answer, but I think um, if we look at all the challenges that we're having in our world, um, they're direct symptoms from living too much in our own mind. Um, I think if we, you know, if you think about all the psychological, the mental uh, health that we're experiencing today in our country, um, anxiety levels, you know, I think those are all symptoms of, being too in our own minds. Right. I agree. Well, um, now the topic of the show tonight has been your book. The title is A Story of Karma, Finding Love and Truth in the Lost Valley of the Himalaya. Now, why don't you share with our audience um, where they can get the book, your web page, any other modalities or services that you want to mention? Uh, give us the right. rundown of the platform. Yeah, so people can learn more if they visit my website, which is just my name, uh, michaelshaw.com. So that's M I C H A E L S. C-H-A-U-C-H dot com. Um, they can find the book, A Story of Karma, at any, um, well, Amazon has it, and any independent bookstore will have it or should be able to order it. Um, so, yeah, and I hope people, you know, I hope they enjoy it. They, they, I hope they read it and enjoy the story, and, and it's a story of, um, it's a story of adventure going into this lost valley and kind of what drew me to the mountain and the whole experience of trying to climb it. Um, what led to karma, but it's also a story of, um, of like the things that we talked about, deep love and human connection, and um, and the next nine years of our lives as, as kind of our lives grew together with this little family in the Himalaya and the beautiful experiences that um, that uh, resulted. Well, very nice. Well, do you see your life? Um Expanding still. I mean, um, are you are you making new ground, or have you kind of settled into a a comfort zone? I mean, your your story has quite a bit of transformation in your life. Is that an ongoing? Mm. Thing? I <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> the story seems to keep going. Um, yeah, I'm just. Oh boy, we could we could spend another hour talking about that. <laughs> but um, I, you know, it's uh, the the way that my mind and the way that I'm expanding from the experience, um, and because our lives continue to grow together. I mean, the experience of Karma and Pemba and their family and Chantal and me, you know, how our lives continue to grow together. The depths of that growth, um, you know, continues to expand my experience here on Earth. So. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what it has in store. I know that our, our relationships are going to continue to grow deeper together, and through that depth will come more expanse. Um, I just have no idea what that's going to look like going out, and, and that's okay. And, and that's okay. 
I think that being okay is giving your heart free reign or a, a much more untethered um, platform to influence you where where you you just said, I don't know where it's going, and that's fine, and that, and that gives you some wiggle room. Well, an hour can go by mm. pretty fast. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, Michael. I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. Thank you so much, Leslie. Yeah, no, it's been an absolute pleasure to be here, and I uh, really, really appreciate um, being able to be on this uh, show with you. We've been talking with Michael Shaw, and the topic tonight has been the, the title of his, his book, A Story of Karma. What a, what a fun and delightful conversation. I think uh, what I really liked about uh, Michael's story is um, – that heart space, I mean, there's so much heart space involved in, um, as he journeys up the mountain, um, his heart or whatever prepares him for the meeting. It, I mean, it, it, it creates a space for that heart connection to happen. And then and then through the that heart space, that heart connection, years to come, um, it's really quite a story. I, I think you would very much enjoy this book. You know, humanity is is hungry for um, something to hang our hat on, something to, to trust more. And what I think is going to provide that is for us to shift our planning, shift our momentum kind of out of the head and into our heart um, for myself my heart um, cracked me open 25 years ago and I had no comprehension I was going to be a, a radio show host and a published author and and all the things that I'm doing now and I've, I've learned to appreciate um, the wisdom of my heart. I've learned to appreciate um, the, I guess I'd say the connection with my heart. When my heart first to um, broaden its stance in my psyche, so to speak, to take it, to take up more space, um, my ego was kind of offended. <laughs> It's like, write a book. Why do we need to write a book? Who wants to read a book I've written? My ego didn't didn't want to uh, take on new adventure, take on new possibilities. And, and now when my heart mentions something, I don't I don't discount it. I, it's like there's, there's value to this. There's, I might not understand it yet, and when I respect the inspiration from my heart and I create a space in my consciousness so my heart can have some some domain some sovereignty if you will in my psyche damn I feel good I feel good at the end of the day to live in that heart space and I think that's the kind of 
shift that humanity's looking for is it doesn't really matter what kind of chaos is going on in the headlines. If I can connect with and experience that heart space today, I can feel grounded. I can feel centered. I can feel fulfilled today. Well, I want to thank you, the listener, for sharing this time with us. You showed up for yourself. You took some time to broaden your perspective of your life, and I want to thank you for that. It's always a pleasure. This is a passion of mine bringing to you episodes like this to help you more fully engage your life, to feel more empowered about your life, to have a more genuine and authentic life. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Always a pleasure. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living radio broadcast. You can raise your own personal power with Personal Power Fundamentals Home Study Course at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.